You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new centerfire rifle ammunition terminal ascent. Now, the terminal ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The terminal ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet, and it comes in a variety of cartridges, including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06, and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com. And while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast with your hosts, Nate Thomas and Micah Winstead. What's going on today? How are you, my friend? I'm doing good, I guess. Late night? Yeah, yeah, but that's not bad. You know, I ain't got to work tomorrow, so I'm pretty excited about that. Day off. Yeah, it's the last, my daughter, it's her last day of spring break, so I took the day off and we're going to go out and have some fun, so before she's got to get back into school. Sounds good. Been doing any uh, hunting or anything this last week? No, no. We've been actually, I've been doing a bunch of home remodeling slash finishing up remodeling from the prior time, <laughs> and it's it it's been eating up a lot of time. So, uh, but this last weekend I was able to get all that done. So my I have a clean slate nice. until my wife comes up with something else for me to do. And I know what she wants me to do next, and so, but I got some time before that <laughs> kicks off. So, yeah, I technically haven't done any hunting either, but I did kill a coyote yesterday morning. I know you got really excited about that, and explain to the listener <laughs> how this all expired. You got to do. Has it, it I have no idea. Yeah, you know what I'm Conspired? Conspired? Sure. Uh, hey, sometimes you got to do what you got to do yeah. when you got to do it. Yeah. So my wife wakes me up, and she's like, hey, there's a coyote in our field right now. And I'm like, really? Yeah. So I get up, and I look out, and I'm like, yep, there is. So I run downstairs, and for anybody listening, I sleep in my underwear, like most normal men. And uh, ran downstairs, grabbed my gun, grabbed my tripod, run outside. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even put boots on, set it up, and I can't I can't find him. He's He's not there anymore. So I'm like, damn, I missed him. So go back inside, and my wife says, oh, he went into the neighbor's timber. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know, whatever. About that time, I look back outside, and he's back in our field. So I run back downstairs <laughs> with my underwear on and uh, grab my gun, tripod, go sit up on our back patio, and he's out there mousing around. And so I get everything set up and uh, dropped him. Nice. So it's the first time I've ever dropped a coyote. In my underwear. <laughs> so, you've already, I'm sure everybody that listens to this has been on Facebook and see that the man that's naked. You could see him. He's running across his backyard <laughs> holding a rifle. And I don't know. I think it says whenever your wife says there's a coyote in the back or something. So, yeah. You I have not seen that. But you, Are you serious? No. You never see It's a man. He 
butt ass naked and he, you got he looks in <laughs> his boots on and he's literally running across his backyard and he's got a gun in his hand and it you know says oh when coyote season or something i don't know it, it happens to me i mean now not in my underwear this is the first time i've literally been in my drawers but i've ran outside in my socks in the rain uh i've you know all kinds of different ways trying to shoot coyotes in the in one the time which i mean you know my house so there was one time I went, uh, we woke up one morning, it was weekend, I remember it was nice, cool, brisk morning, and Amy's in the bathroom, and you can see the backyard in the bathroom, and uh, she's like, hey, there's a coyote out there, so I get my gun, and I go, and I sit on my back porch, and two, a, a double came out, and I'm like, yeah, I could shoot him, but the way my land lays out, my neighbor's like right next door, and it, it just wouldn't have been, I was like, ah, I'm just going to let him go, so, but yeah, it, it was it was pretty cool doing that. So. Yeah. So moral of the story is, if you're struggling with hunting, which I have been struggling, I've, you know, I've, we've kind of talked about our coyote hunting mm-hmm. uh, on the show in the last few weeks, and I personally had been struggling, and so if you're struggling hunting, just go hunting in your underwear. That, that's the ticket. Everything huh? works out. That's where it all pans out. By the way, that was the mangiest coyote that I've ever seen in person. Yeah, I'm sure people saw it. On he was the, nasty. On the gram and whatnot. It was. That was an ugly, ugly His, his tail looked like a uh, possum tail. Yeah. He had no hair left, and yeah, he was a nasty dog, but um, so he needed to die anyway. But yeah, he probably, well, I mean, I guess winter's pretty much time, over, right? but it, I don't know how long the they lived with that stuff anyways. I, I think it's, I, th- I don't think it goes away. But I could be wrong. I don't yeah, know anything it, about mange. I would think it would just kill him. Wouldn't it just kill? Doesn't it kill him eventually? I don't know if mange is fatal. It's just they scratch so much that it. That's why they don't have any hair. But I don't know a whole lot about. Maybe. Well, the I know disease. I, I know if they got it in the winter, they obviously. They, I think they just freeze to death, right? Because they, they don't, don't have, have any fur. fur yeah. But I mean, I could be wrong too. I guess I don't know. So that was cool. Uh, but that's really all I've got to do outside, just because I got two kids that just started baseball and softball and. Stuff starts getting busy with family stuff this time of year, so I sure. haven't really gotten to do much. We're hoping to go sometime this week. Um, yeah. Daylight Savings has made it to where we can actually get a few hours in coyote hunting in the evening. Mm-hmm. So we might try to do that sometime this week. But yeah, try out some new spots that we've gotten. So hopefully that works out. Haven't done any more night hunting since we mm-hmm. went a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, it got pretty cold and then it's been raining nasty so, yeah. yeah weather's not been cooperating for what we want to do but anyway we've been bullshitting for five minutes so yeah let's talk about today's episode um today we've got ryan france um said like the country not spelled like it but with roughneck retrievers and ryan comes on to talk about some some bird dog um training and and stuff like that we kind of talk about waterfowl training uh, blood training and uh, or blood tracking and uh, shed hunting dogs and kind of what goes into what he does with training each kind of different um, area yeah of, of dogs and get some good information so um, let's just hop into this show unless you got anything else nope let's do it this is the Missouri Woods and Water podcast All right, with us today in studio. So much better when they're in studio. It is nice. It is nice. Uh, I think he drove from Texas and got back today, so thanks for... Dude, man. How long of a drive was that? 
Uh, 12 hours and 45 minutes, not oh, including man. sleeping at a couple parking lots. <laughs> there you go. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. So with us is Ryan France of Roughneck Retrievers. Yep. So yep. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hey, thanks, guys. Yeah, we met Ryan uh, through Midwest. He uh, donated a dog for their coyote hunt and stuff. So we've been in contact with him since then. Uh, quite an outfit you got over there. Hey, thanks, man. Um, I love it. So, yeah, so before we get going, uh, real quick, give everybody a quick introduction, who you are, where you're from, and then we'll kind of talk about Roughneck Retrievers, what you do, and then training dogs and all that fun stuff. Awesome, man. Yeah, uh, my name is Ryan France. Um, originally from Indiana. Uh, me and my wife transplanted out here uh, about two years, two years ago now, and uh, I train dogs full-time, except during duck season. I'm a full-time hunter. <laughs> there you go. Full-time dad then, too. That's the perfect That's the perfect life right there. First off, you get to work with dogs, which I really I love dogs, big dog person. I'm not so good at the training part, but I do enjoy having. <laughs> at least you admit it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I'm, we'll get into that at a different time. But, <laughs> but so you get to do that, and then you get to kind of make your own schedule as far as hey, I'm not going to take on a dog this time of year. I'm going to go hunting. So I mean, that's awesome. So that's pretty cool. That you get to do that. It is, man. I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky in the people I met in my life and uh, what they've taken me to and. Uh, I honestly, I, I, I gotta, I gotta say him, uh, Craig Corcoran, knuckle busting retrievers out of Indiana. I, uh, he gave me a million dollar an hour job and, uh, he took me on. What's his phone number? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a job of a lifetime, man. I mean, they say, uh, you're not really working. Yeah. And, uh, I love it, dude. And I owe everything to him. I owe everything to that man. Everything he's taught me. Um, even, you know, the better work to work ethic I have now uh, I got to be honest, everybody thinks I play with puppies all day, but I mean, you still got to pick up poop, still got to clean kennels. You still got to do all the grungy, dirty jobs um, that's out there because, you know, you may not, may not always have enough clients to, you know, bring in an assistant. Right. So. So is that how you got started is you got a job with another trainer back in Indiana originally? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so man. How, yeah how t- take us through the process and like, I don't know, were you you know 10 years old and this guy needed help clean kennels out or something or how'd that come about uh no i had a, i had a background dogs for my grandfather um in the sense that uh i met some bird dog people and i uh, had some part-time jobs um back in the day and uh i actually i was in a pretty dark place and uh i had this little yellow pup and i was dealing with some uh, emotional stuff and uh, pretty much dog saved my life and uh that day I decided that I was going to start living to be happy and stop living, you know, pay my bills. And uh, I can take care of my family and be happy at the same time I'm going to do it. And literally, we get on Facebook that night. My wife goes, hey, there's this knuckle-busting guy. He's posting that he needs, you know, a kennel assistant. Someone shared it. And I was like, oh, I'll give him a call. And uh, the funny part is, I mean, two or three weeks earlier, I called him to try to get on his waiting list to get my dog trained. Okay. Um, I just, I wasn't in the mood. I was, I was really depressed. Mm-hmm. And you, you kind of owe it to your dog to be all in if you're going to train your dog. And I, I just, I wasn't ready then. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, so it was funny that we saw that post. I called him. And uh, to make, make things worse, we talked for a bit. And then uh, I ended up sending him a text. He was like, give me the weekend to think about it. I'll call you back. I'm like, all right. I sent my wife a uh, promiscuous text 
that I actually ended up sending to Craig. <laughs> and he didn't call me back for like a week. He let me sit on it, dude. I was, I was scared. And he will tell you to this day, it was hilarious. He did it on purpose. He didn't tell me to like two weeks after I started. And uh, can you say what the text was, or is that a little too? too hey, much? baby. Thanks for the interview. <laughs> um, I don't, it, it, I've sent her a meme about a sexual thing. <laughs> And uh, so he got a picture and all. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. You know. She was, Here's she was, the funny thing about sending a text to the wrong person. Literally every single listener that's listening to our show can relate to that. Oh yeah, I've definitely. At done some it. point in your life, you've sent a text and you're like, "Oh no, did I send that to the right person? You have to how, check it. How do I get that back?" <laughs> Oh, there was no getting it back. <laughs> it, <laughs> like, was, it was out there forever. Yeah. Oh, I thought I lost this opportunity. It was so bad. But he still hired you. Oh, he still hired me, man. Um, you know, we worked something out. I was working evenings elsewhere to uh, oh, what's the, to balance out my income. Uh, to be realistic, he was looking for someone who was like 16 in high school that wanted right. to just chump change and, you know, could just work hard and give him, you know, what he wanted. And so I went out there with the mindset. I was like, dude, I want to learn. And he was like, well... I'm not going to teach you. You need to prove it to me. I mean, it was like a year of picking up poop, working sometimes seven days a week, nine hours a day, then going and delivering pizzas or bartending or whatever I was doing at the time and uh, just really grinding through it with him. And then there was one day, man, he was like, hey, come up here. and I want to show you something with this dog. And I looked at him like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, I want to show, show you how hold works. And I was like, what? 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 Wait, what? <laughs> and I mean, that's how it started. And then, you know, it grew from there. And I ended up taking over classes for him and uh force fetched his dogs so he could just focus on his uh big dogs transition dogs and uh it just took off from there went to a couple trips with him and uh, we've been through a lot of ups and downs like i said i've got i i dealt with some uh mental issues um and uh he's been through me been with me through some of the hard stuff and i mean true best friend stuck with it i mean literally i went to texas to bring him ducks so we can both save money on ducks and, uh, you know, I drove all the way down there to help him for a week before his first test of the year through birds for him. I pretty much did my old job for free. I went to dinner every night. And, I mean, I spent a lot of time with him. I loved every minute of it. I don't regret it. You know, we bickered a bit. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I still talk to him every day. So he's actually texting me right now about it. <laughs> a topper for my truck to hold dogs in. And he's That's like, nice. will you answer me? And I'm like, I'm busy right now. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a minute. So, sometimes the things that you know, are worth it. Take that work, you know, that take that time. And, you know, you got to be willing to put in that, uh, you know, what do they call it? That grunt work Yeah. to, to, to get it to pay off. A lot of, a lot of people are that instant gratification. If I don't get oh, it yeah. now, especially in the world we live in today. Yeah. Especially today. Um, if I don't get it now, I'm, I quit, you know, for yeah. sure. Sometimes you, you got to do, be able to put in that work. That's cool. Yeah. We were curious how, how you guys started, how rough neck retriever started and you know, how you got into training dogs because it's, that's a, it's a pretty interesting thing that not very many people just oh, yeah. are right. doing. Oh yeah, for sure. So, well, and you you do a, a several different things. So I guess before we get into the different types of training and the mm -hmm. different types of dogs you work with, because uh, that's really interesting to me. Uh, give us a quick rundown about roughneck retrievers and what it is you guys do, and then we'll kind of go from there. Uh, our main line is uh, dealing with uh, duck dogs, waterfowl dogs. We do a little bit of testing through the AKC and UKC. In the future, I'd like to branch out and try to do some uh, field trials in the sense of younger dogs derbies. Mm -hmm. uh, it's dogs up to two years old. Uh, it's based on natural ability. It's not trainability. 
It's just what's in the dog. I find them kind of fascinating. Maybe sometime in the future I'll get into field trials. It's just a bigger concept and different kind of training style. Um, but we're really in this for the duck hunter. We're in it for the meat dog guy. The guy who grinds and works 60 hours a week for a chance to hopefully shoot a duck on Saturday. <laughs> we're out there to help get a dog in your hands, to help get your birds back in the blind. And that's what I love. And I tell people, they're like, what's well, the best part of your job, playing with puppies? And it's like, honestly, best part of my job is sitting in a duck blind on a really cruddy day, no birds flying, and I get a text. He picked up a limit. And they send me that picture with all them ducks laid out next to that dog. That is the best part of my job. It's the excitement that someone has when they watch their dog go and pick up that first duck. Or when we've been working together over the phone, you know, she's, she's not really going out and getting the duck. She, she sees it, you know. We're trying to make that connection between the gunshot. You know, we're really just trying to take what we used and what we trained at roughneck retrievers and implement it into the field because i'm training dogs in the off season i can't go out and set up a beautiful marsh with a blind and have ducks flying in there's a lot of things that the dogs have to you know truly correlate to the training and when owners call you like it clicked man i shot she saw the duck fall she went out and got it that is just the greatest day in the world and you know some dogs get it right away and some dogs it takes a little bit of time and you know it, it what the owner's willing to put in after the dog leaves me is what they're going to get back out of it. So, right. That's is cool. there such a thing as you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Well, it depends, man. Um, you can always teach a dog new tricks. It really just depends on what their motivation is. I mean, really? almost any dog can become food motivated. Uh, I'm sure there's situations where a dog doesn't eat and someone will laugh at me and be like, well, my dog doesn't eat food. I have It's on a tube. Well, you got me there. <laughs> you win. <laughs> yeah, you win. Probably but, not going to have him out in the duck blind then. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> but uh, we, I won't force fetch a dog over a certain age. And, I mean, it really just depends on the dog. You bring me a four-year-old that's jacked up and has, a, has the will to learn and – we can do something, but, you know, sometimes we can't. Sometimes they don't want to do it. Um, you know, it just – it all depends. Um, depends on the situation. But generally, you can teach any dog anything. Nice. So. Well, let's get into – because this is probably what you do the most of, and it, it's interesting to me uh, just because the term – like before we started uh, recording, the, some of the terms you talk about, you know, yeah. are just foreign to guys like me and Micah. So right. let's get into waterfowl dogs first. Okay. What – so somebody brings you, I guess any dog, but you know a young dog. I mean, yeah. What age do you prefer to give up a, a, a dog to start so training? It depends. Um, someone who wants to get a little extra into their dog, give their dog a head start. We got a what we consider a puppy program. It's our heavy obedience, lot of lot of retrieving. It's really what we're doing is giving your dog the ability to have consistency and help get them started in the program. We're giving them live looks on pigeons, you know, throwing live birds for them. We're building that prey drive. We're giving them a really good obedience, really starting on that heel, that place. Depending on the dog's drive, we can start doing a little bit of, like, hand signals and just getting them moving. Um, we don't want to do anything forceful with them because up until – it depends on the dog. Five to six months window is when we start to see them lose their teeth. Force fetch is very based around the mouth. You don't want to mm-hmm. be shoving objects – in the mouth, when the gums are inflamed and puppy teeth are falling out and new teeth are coming in, because what's going to happen? They're going to start to hate you putting objects in their mouth. So we want to wait until to see those teeth fall out. The safe window is six months, but I, I've got a dog coming to me that's five months old that has all of its teeth falling out. Really? So um, it just depends on the dog and 
where you got it from. Um, but yeah. that's what we like to start. That's like what we like to see. But three to four months, we can start that puppy program, get a really good obedience going, um, get them kind of a head start. Right. So. Okay. So, and then, then, yeah, what's like the next go with the puppy program? Okay. What's your next? Uh, like, what's the first thing that you start a waterfowl dog on? Do you, I mean, is there a, for me, a guy that, you know, doesn't do a lot of it. Yeah. What, I think, you know, really cool is you see these videos and, I mean, this guy, the the duck hasn't even hit the damn water yet and, you know, the dog's almost there, you know, and oh, I'm yeah. like, that's freaking cool. How did that dog know that, you know, and, of course, I might not pay enough attention, but I, I'm like, I swear, he didn't even say anything. That dog just knew. I got to go get that. Well, that's bad. That's breaking. <laughs> okay, see, yeah, <laughs> see, you already set me straight. Yeah. So what's like the first thing you st- you know you start on when you start training a waterfowl so dog? So when a dog comes to my kennel, this is something uh, that we've really taken into heart because uh, we've seen dogs lose drive because of the redundancy of training. We need something that's a baseline, and that baseline's food. So from day one – we're feeding them from hand. Every meal they get is fed from my hand. I want their attention on me. I want them to love food. I want them to be driven by their meals. Now, we also have to be safe. Um, dogs have the, our labs, labs in general, but most larger dogs have the ability to get stomach twists. They eat a lot. Their stomach drops. They run. It flips, twists on itself. They die. Um, so we have to be careful of that. But, you know, working with obedience, we want to feed them their meals. We want to use their daily meals as treats. We want them to really enjoy that because food can save you in the end. If the dog gets bored and just their natural drive isn't, isn't helping you, food's the way to go. So we definitely start with that. Real light obedience, sit work. If they don't know what sit means, um, we start working on wraparound heels, getting them to come around to your side and uh, sit next to you in an actual heel. We start working on place boards, which is literally getting them to place onto an object. Then we go into lay from there. Lay isn't really, I don't really see it beneficial in the gun dog world. I'm sure someone will say, well, my dog lays next to me in the blind. Well, that's great. Um, it's really just to teach structure and to show, you know, I'm in charge, work with me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something else we do. And I honestly don't teach stay. Um, sit means sit, lay means lay. And if you don't do it, well, I'm going to correct you. Yeah. Um, so... And realistically, at this point, when I say corrections, it's literally, you know, I tell a dog to sit and it moves. I'm putting it right back in that same spot. It's I'm going to I'm going to dominate this by dog by not letting them make a decision that's not something I want. Um, and this is this is why people come to a trader consistency. You're going to really you're really going to start to see this as we talk is consistency. So that's where they start out. Um, after that, we start the force fetch. We put them up on the table. We give them kibble. We start feeding them kibble there. We want a good positive association with the force fetch table because, A, force fetch is the start of everything, but it's stressful. And uh, over time, dogs can start to break down. So you want to get a positive vibe on the table. Table is probably about six and a half foot long. Um, we've got a support structure on the top that has a cable running across it with a wheel and that wheel is attached to, uh, different size ropes for different size dogs or different size situations. Um, we start with the dog not having any free movement besides the ability to stand up or sit down. Um, we really want to reinforce the sit while we're up on the table. And then from there we start working on our, their hold holding objects. We don't use any objects at this point that the dog will see no ducks, uh, no bumpers. Um, we're using objects that are like that, but don't look anything like them. Um, and as we go from there, we start teaching fetch, um, which is the uh, 
the dog reaching out and grabbing. People think fetch is the dog opens his mouth, we put an object in. No, no, you want the dog reaching for an object. You want them knowing that the command means I need to get that object and put it in my mouth. Um, from there, we go into collar conditioning. So people hate the e-collar. It's the big bad guy. Here comes that talk. <laughs> There's someone cursing me on the road right now listening yeah. to this. Um, so the e-collar is a proofing tool meant to condition the dog to a negative stimulus. So I give the command sit. I will apply pressure through the collar. I will release said pressure when the dog sits and only when it sits. Um, but you have to understand the dog knows what sit means. I've been using treats. We've been reinforcing it. Yeah. So now we're just conditioning the collar stimulus, the stimulation to the command. Um, so same concept works for fetch. We definitely go back and do it then. Now we're going to have them walking around on the table. We want to move them around a little bit. Um, after that's done, uh, we go to the ground and we redo it all. Um, the reason I do that is because uh, the dog was – we took away their freedom on the table, you know. They mm -hmm. didn't have their legs underneath them, you know. They had to listen. Now they have their legs underneath them. They can run away. <laughs> right. So we redo that process, and then after that, um, we start throwing marks, you know. We start giving them li birds. We start throwing them out in the field, and, you know, it's all fun. So, but during this entire process, uh, you know, we're doing obedience daily two, three times. We're giving them structure. We're loving on them, you know. Right. We're trying to have fun. We don't really like to throw bumpers and we don't want a bad association with retrieving and force fetch because the process goes so quick. You don't want, you don't, you don't want to put a dog in a situation where they're like, man, like this guy's, this guy makes me do all this stuff I don't want to do in here. And then he throws me some fun stuff. I don't like to do the fun stuff anymore. Like, you know, we don't want that bad association. And, uh, that's the, I think that's the biggest thing for people is when they go through force fetch, they think it's all negative. It's all negative. It's not all negative. Dogs don't want to do what we want them to do. Right. They want to do what they want to do. Right. We give them structure. And when we give them structure, they learn that it's easier to give into the structure. So, um, and that's, that's force fetch. It's just, it's structure. Just, just like when I tell my kids, it's quicker to clean your room and then you get to play games. Then they cry for then five hours. Then it is to cry for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> And then you're still going to clean your room. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to happen. Oh, so. dogs cry for five hours, too. Don't sure. Worry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm and sure. some of them get really mean and talk back. So I guess dogs are like kids. <laughs> and all, yeah, a lot of ways, yeah. <laughs> so, and we forgot to ask this, but so you're mostly working with labs. Mostly. Um, I get Boykins. I actually have a beautiful Boykin coming back. I'm super excited about her. Boykins are a smaller spaniel. Um, Chesapeake Bay Retrievers. I've actually got one coming this year. Um, curly coats are another retriever. I probably will never see one in my lifetime. And then golden retrievers. I actually got a few goldens coming out this year. Nice. So, but I'm, I'm guessing like a vast majority of the dogs you see are oh, some sort sure. of lab. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Lab That's what you see out popular. in the waterfowl world. Yeah, a lot, most of the time it's mostly yeah. a lab. So I mean, they're good at their job. So you know, oh, <laughs> so yeah. why, not, why not try yeah. to break? Very why versatile. Yeah. So you so. do a lot of obedient you know foundation laying before you ever worry about the ducks and the and the geese whatever what they have to retrieve you're doing a lot of foundation yeah uh we really want that structure there but i mean in between this to be fair there's a lot that's actually happening it's really hard to you know keep it all on track but like sometime in the first three weeks we start throwing live pigeons you know we, we want prey drive you know we're throwing a pigeon we're letting them chase it down get in their mouth throw it around see how they interact see if we got a dog we got to work with mm -hmm. you know right. some dogs are like whoa what is that and why is it walking and i don't want to go near it you know some dogs just don't know yet so we want to get them really into those feathers 
And, you know, sometimes dogs, you know, they don't know what's going on, so they're timid about it. So now we'll start throwing them feather. Like, we'll start throwing them wings instead of actual whole birds or mm-hmm. you maybe frozen bird or something like that just to get them enticed, get that prey drive built up towards it. Um, and then, you know, once that we start seeing the drive there and the size of the dog, so, you know, a six-month-old puppy, I'm not going to throw a live duck in front of them. They're live ducks almost a quarter of the size they are. Yeah, probably beat that <laughs> so, pup's ass. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. And I've seen a duck, like, open its wings wide up and, like, hiss and chase a dog, and the dog's yeah. like, "Woo, I'm out of here. Yeah, no thanks, so, I'm good. Um, so we try to make things positive. We try to set them up for the best success, but, you know, we don't know what this dog's going to do. We're still learning about its personality. We're still in the first three weeks, and dogs' personalities can change multiple times through the course of our entire gun dog mm-hmm. program. So that's something else we do. We want to really, really build on that. Um, and like I said, it's structured, so we want to keep everything away. I mean, to the point where, like, I do my force fetch in the kennel, and I'm throwing the ducks 200 yards away in the back half of my property. So I need I need everything to be apart. I don't want any bad association with anything. So, Do you find it, because obviously people are bringing you their dogs, do you find people that bring their dogs from, like, a – reputable breeder or you know a big name breeder do those dogs learn easier or does it matter it depends man um so you could have a high-end three thousand dollar puppy from the greatest litter in the world and five of them are dumb dumber than a box of rocks don't want to do it yeah. you know you don't know you never know but you know you can go buy a two hundred dollar no ofas no backgrounds like the guy just had two labs in it and they happened to make babies and that could be the best dog you ever own. It could be the best dog that I've seen. Uh-huh. You know, you just don't know. I'm not telling anyone to go out there and buy a backyard bred dog. But the point is you don't really know. You try to put in your best thought. You try to look for the, the puppy that's really birdie, wants to pick up wings, wants to chase them down. But that personality could change your dog. Yeah. Become a couch potato two months later. Yeah. It's kind of like the law of averages. You oh, know, yeah. the, the more homework you do and the, the better lines you do have – there's a better chance that they, that dog yeah. will be a good working dog, but it's still not yeah, nothing, science. Nothing I mean, guaranteed. It's not perfect science. The biggest issue is when people take the dog home, you know, oh, it's a puppy. Let's throw, let's throw bumpers every day. Let's have fun. Let's do this. And it either dies off and the real world sets in and they stop working with their dog, which is a big killer, mm-hmm. or they work too much and they kill the drive. Yes, you heard that right. You can work your puppy too much to the point where they're bored with retrieving. And that's what I see the most of, honestly. But with COVID, I guarantee you in the next year, I'm going to see more dogs where people are just like, yay, puppy. And then it kind of got ignored. Not that they didn't take care of their dog. I'm sure they fed it. I'm sure they walked it and stuff like that. But, you know, they weren't throwing it retrieves two or three times a day, a couple times mm-hmm. each time. You know, they weren't working on that obedience. They weren't doing that. Um, you know, they just went back to their life. Yeah. So it just, the home structure plays a big part and, uh, what the breeders do plays a big part. I picked up a puppy for a client of ours. Um, well, my wife did. My wife's amazing, by the way. She does everything for me. My business would fail without her, but she drove up North and got a puppy for us. The puppy was potty trained at two weeks old. Oh, wow. For us. Like she did the potty training, great socialization. She knew, uh, she, uh, our older dog kind of stood up on her, you know, trying to smell her and she didn't bite her. She didn't play with her. She wasn't rough. She knew her place. And then when our dog started to play, she started to play. That's awesome. I mean, that's great socialization. That's what you want to see from a breeder. 
And then, you know, the pedigree helps. Seeing the testing back there. Seeing that there there was something in the background that showed that these dogs have the ability to hunt. Um, and that's what, that's what you ultimately want to see. And I would take a socialized dog from a breeder that really puts the effort in and got those dogs exposed to water, to feathers, to playing, to really allowing them to get that pecking order in the litter than a dog with a great pedigree because I know I can build off of that. But, you know, a higher-end dog may have something I really like. You know, it may have the look I like. It may have the speed I like. It may have the bitability I want. Or it may have that go-get-em-drive. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing it for me. Yeah. So, um, you know, it really depends on what you want in a dog. Man. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. You, uh, so, I mean, you work through the process. And how long is it taking you? I mean, I guess it depends on the dog. 100%. But... On average, you know, you get a dog in your program that, let's say you got it as a, a, a puppy, so you're able to yeah. kind of start the way you want to, to that, that finished dog, or I, I guess a dog's probably never finished. Oh, yeah. But that, that finished product that is like, all right, this dog's ready to go and hunt. You know, she he or she is ready to go do it as needed done. I mean, can it take a year longer, or is it? It really depends on what your definition is. So do you want a dog that's going to go play the game and pick up the chicken? Like I shoot a duck, it goes and pick up, it goes and picks up the duck. It's obedient in the blind. Does it knock guns over and listens? Is that what you want? Two, three months, sometimes five, four, five, six. It depends on the dog's personality. I've seen it go longer. It really just depends on the dog. Like you said, but, uh, that basic program, two to three months and dogs going back to you and ready to go to hunting season. Also, what plays into that is how much effort you want to put in when you take the dog home. Yeah, I because, know, I mean, you can't the, – the training can't stop once you're done with it. Yeah. The owner's got to take responsibility, too, and keep that training yeah. up. Where I see my issues are, like, guys that I get in, like, now. So, like, April 3rd, when people drop off dogs, and that dog gets done, you know, two, three, four months, and they don't want to keep the dog with me, which is fine. You don't have to. You know, dog's ready to go. So they want to take them home. And then they don't work with the dog. September comes around. They're calling me. And they're like, dude, this dog just lays here. Well, what'd you do? Well, I haven't done anything with her since I brought her home. Well, I mean, probably should have worked with her. So now I know bit. why she lays there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you, didn't do, you didn't do anything we did when, we, when you came out for two days and worked with me and we went over everything. You didn't do anything, any of the drills I gave you at your house. Nothing. You didn't take your dog out and play with her. Like, she doesn't want to work with you. Or the biggest one, man, this is my favorite. Do not take your dog out on its first hunt with more than one gun. So you and a buddy, your buddy shoots or you shoot. The other one works the dog, and then they'll call me. I think my dog's gun shy. What happened? Well, I had nine guys in the blind, and like a group of 50 mallards tried to land on us, and we unloaded. And I'm like, you may have just scared the crap out of your dog. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's the biggest one. But, yeah, I mean, two to three months is what we're aiming for. It really depends on the dog. I mean, I had a dog last year. It was like five weeks, and he was ready to go, and the owner's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, I mean, technically you paid for two to three months, so we're just going to go ahead and work him and get him super smart. And uh, great dog. I mean, I've never seen a dog get through that fast, um, but it was awesome, man. I loved him. I wish they would have wanted to keep him in for more, you know. But, yeah, just the basic go pick up the chicken and, you know, weekend warrior dog that's just going to do you good, go and pick up birds. Um, two to three months, man, for sure. No, that's not as bad as I was thinking. No, I was thinking it could be. Um, part of your training, uh, you, you kind of talked on, you know, you don't want to get them too early on as far as, you know, 
bunch of people shooting in the blind. Yeah. Are you incorporating gunshots and stuff like that during your training? Yeah. So I guess back in the day, um, it was really big on uh, firing a twenty-two primer, walking it in, getting the dog super associated with it, and then conditioning them to like a four ten, then a twenty gauge and a twelve gauge, and walking in and really paying attention to the dog. But, uh, well, technology's advanced. We've got simulators now that um, mimic a 12-gauge. And going through the process, uh, we've been able to associate that sound to be something really good for the dog. So when we get out into the field, they get really excited. They start hearing that 12-gauge. They start seeing things flying. They start retrieving. They start catching on. And we don't really have to worry about bringing the guns to them anymore. Um, we do do a uh, 410 to 20-gauge to 12-gauge live fire next to them before they go home because we want them conditioned to that gun being next to them. Mm -hmm. But most of the work's done out in the field for me with simulators. Uh, my thunder launchers. Oh my gosh, they're amazing. Um, I mean, they're run with map gas. And I mean, if there was a like zero gauge, that would be it. Oh, they wow. are loud. Yeah. Um, they're supposed to mimic a 12 gauge. They're louder, but uh, more like a 10 gauge. Um, but yeah, they're very loud. And I mean, that sound at 70 yards, when it goes off, them dogs are perked up like, I'm ready to go. I know what's out there. Yeah. They're looking for the mark. And that's how we build that positive association with gunshots. Now it's not like it used to be like, I'm, I'm serious. It used to be 22 at hundred yards. Pep. <laughs> oh, the dog's okay with it. I'm going to move closer. And this uh, week, week long process, you know, um, like we, there are some dogs we do have to go back and do that with some dogs, you know, in the field, that just turns them off right there. They are not okay with that simulator the first time they hear it. Hmm. And we tend to keep the simulator further away than the mark, and we throw the mark um, flat away from it um, to really give them a good association the first time. But, yeah, it's not like it used to be. You don't have to sit there with a twenty two starter gun to get your dog used to it. My brother, a long time ago, somebody gave – he got into bird hunting, so he wanted to get him a bird dog. Oh, yeah. So a buddy gave him his bird dog that was – trained for bird hunting <laughs> quote unquote <laughs> quote unquote <laughs> trained for bird hunting and i remember we we had a little three acre pasture behind our house and we went out there and we just shot, we shot the gun at whatever and that dog just took off <laughs> just took <laughs> off right we're like well i think we got it done <laughs> you know? oh it happens man um you'd be surprised uh you know I, I don't want to blame owners but a lot of the time it is owners negligence taking a dog into a loaded blind or shooting over them or just making a mistake. And we cover all these things. Like I have a really bad memory. I have a list of things that I recite to you. Like you are going to court when you take your dog home, because I want you to hear them. And I bet you people ignore me. Um, but I tell it twice and I make sure because it's serious things, man, you can really ruin a dog. If you're very unlucky, you could ruin a dog and that dog may not come back from it. Um, I've seen it happen. Um, and it sucks, and there's nothing you can do about it because that dog will never go near a gun again. Uh, but you can also ruin a dog as a trainer, you know. Um, I've seen it happen lots of times. You know, trainers too hard on a dog ruins a dog. So hmm. we all play a part. Oh, yeah. So what's For the difference between, you know, like you were saying, a dog that just goes and gets a chicken? Or is, I mean, is there another step above? Like, oh, what's, yeah. is it, what's your version of a the perfect dog? I mean, I'm guessing a lot of guys, like you were saying, just my dog sits next to me, doesn't yeah. cause a mess, doesn't make any problems in the yeah. blind, and they go get the duck when I need them to go get the duck, and they come back. Uh -huh. What what's a what's 
What's the next level? What's the next level? Like, what what are a lot of guys and gals looking for? Don't steal my snacks out of my bag. That's (laughs) the perfect dog. Um, But no, seriously, don't steal my snacks. I have a dog that has a problem with that, and it's my fault. I gave her snacks all the time. I enabled it. I'm the problem. See, even I I make mistakes. Um, The next step would be transition. We're really going to – we're going to build off of that force fetch. We just taught that dog how to pick objects up off the ground. And we're going to now force them to go and pick something up where they don't even know it exists. Um, the whole process is to build confidence and teach them to hopefully run 100, 200, 300 yards out for nothing. They don't know where it is. They don't know where it is out there. And you're going to use hand signals to direct them. Um, it's called transition. It takes five to six months. Um, some trainers call it advanced training. Um, and that really takes your dog to a, a season level uh, or senior level, depending on if you do AKC or UKC. And uh, there's a lot more to it. Technically, you start working with your dog on doubles. Um, so two birds flying out before you send them out. There's a memory bird. They come back, then go pick up the bird, the, the memory bird. Um, oh, so they bring back the first one, and then they got to they, go pick they up gotta the second remember one. They got to remember the place. second one. So, like, if you shoot a double – they, they would go out and get one duck, come back, then go back and get the other one, and they would remember where it was because they're watching the fall. And uh, we really start building on uh, really learning angles of fall. So what a, a flat, angled back, angled in, those are the true angles that you see, and dogs really start to learn those. So they can tell, well, if, it, if it's an angled back, I can see it, and then it disappears, and then I watch it land at this direction. So they know, like, I know that angle, so i got to go further past where I saw it fall. Or, you know, if it's flat over, I'm watching and watching and I see it all the way. Oh, man, that that one's definitely over there from where I saw it. And, you know, you'll start to see young dogs and because we use blinds. We'll put blinds out there for guys to stand behind and throw marks or blinds to hide my thunder launchers. And you'll start seeing a dog. It'll run out. It'll stop. It'll look back at you. It'll look at the blind. It'll be like, oh, shit, it's over there. And you'll see it take off and run because it remembers the angle. And you're seeing a dog learn. So that's. That's a big thing we start uh, doing there, too. We did a little bit um, during the force fetch program, and it, but it's more of just go get the chicken. I saw where it was. I'm going to go get it. Yeah. Uh, because most guys aren't hunting in, like, 100 yards of cattail. They're hunting an open pool with some cattails next to them. Yeah. So, really, your dog's going to use their nose when they get in there anyway. Um, so, But that's the next step is really getting that transition down, starting to run blinds, starting to get the dog to leave your side and understand that you're going to help them achieve the end goal, which is to find that bird. Um, and then from there, there's a finished level, which is really just building off of that, teaching triples for the hunt test world. So, I mean, bang, bird one, bang, bird two, bang, bird three. Now the dog has to go all the way around and pick all those up, two of them by memory. Um, and then really just honing those blind skills, stretching that dog out further, um, getting them to once again, run blindly into whatever you want them to. I mean, we're talking in and out of water multiple times going over land to water, land to water, land to water, all the way out there, jumping into those cattails that they wouldn't go into before, you know, without your help, forcing them in there and, you know, sitting them blowing your whistle they turn around sit and look at you you're giving them a cast whether it's back right back left and over angle back right you know um giving them cast and really working them out there that's the finished product that's what we want that's that's what most guys see and they're like man that's what i'm getting for 
you know, whatever price the basic training is. And they're like, that's not what I got. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's year. That that's some dogs can get that far in a year. Some dogs can get that far in 10 months, depending on the training program or, you know, some dogs, it takes four years to get that far, you know, because their personality. And and I'm sure that probably takes training on the human part too. I'm sure. Cause I would assume at some point you bring the owner in there. This is how this dog is trained. This is what you have to do. Yeah. You want them to go this way, you point this way or do whatever. You got to train the person too. So, so so is that essentially what the dog does if, um, let's say for instance, it was a double and they're on their way back for the second bird and they can't find it. There's something's wrong. I I miss saw or I'm not seeing the, the bird. Are they trained to then turn around and look at the owner and the owner's like, Nope, that, it's that it, way. Or- it depends. So, like, in a hunt test world, you don't want your dog to turn around. You want your dog to run to the area, fall, sniff it out, put okay. on a hunt, and find it. Gotcha. Um, if you're hunting, just from, a, just from a hunter standpoint, just a meat guy, you want, want to blow a whistle once you realize your dog's lost. And then you would want to handle them that to that area, you know. And there's some guys that teach their dogs how to do doubles and uh, how to mark doubles and really learn how to use their memory. And they don't have they don't have hand signals, so at that point you'd have to just go out there and get the duck yourself because your dog didn't <laughs> remember where it was. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the thing. I think guys when they get a dog and they go to pay for a trainer, they expect that dog to get every duck flawlessly with no issues. And it's like if you shot perfect every time and the duck came in the exact same way and the dead duck landed in the open water, yes, that's what you will get. But that's but, not the case. <laughs> but you sailed that bird that you decided to shoot 90 yards in the air because you didn't want the guy in the next blind to get it. <laughs> and now it's 200 yards away and your dog's looking at you like, Dad, I lost that thing as it was, like, falling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. 50% cool. of the time, it works every time. Yes. 60%. But yeah. Damn it, I always get that wrong. But let's talk a little bit. You also do uh, – I want to talk about blood. Yeah, you do Next. blood and shed training as well. So let's do shed training because shed training comes off of force fetch. Okay. Um, we do the same exact program. Technically, you can get a shed dog and then take the training I told you and apply it to waterfowl. Okay. So um, you're going to force fetch the dog still. You're not going to use any antlers. You're going to make sure antlers are nowhere near that table because you don't want any bad ill will on them. Um, and then you're going to start – some people are like, oh, I like to give my dog the antler. I don't like to let a dog chew on anything that could at some point hurt them, that could get in their stomach. They break off a large enough piece. They swallow it, punctures their stomach. Anything is possible in this world. Trust me. I've probably seen everything, and I'm sure there's something I haven't seen that's going to happen soon. <laughs> um, so the biggest thing you really need to do is uh, just get the smell of an antler. If you got a fresh one, um, that's <laughs> If you get your dog and it's a puppy and it's shed season, go find a fresh antler that has a lot of scent on it and just set it next to him. Um, really, you know, I like to set the antler next to the dog when it's eating. I want that positive smell there. I want them to smell that shed. Um, I don't like to let them chew on them because, I mean, they find a really nice one and they happen to be out of eyesight. What do you think they're going to do? <laughs> they're going to chew the crud out of that thing. Yeah. I had a guy who was looking for a, he was looking for a 10-point one time, and uh, he called me. He's like, you're working for a dog trainer out there, aren't you still? And I was like, yeah, I guess. What do you got? What question you got? He was like, man, I taught my dog how to shed on. He chews on these dang antlers that he finds, and I can't get to him. And I'm like, well, hey, you should work on your recall on your dog, and uh, maybe you know, get him, put him on a lead, or uh, if you want him to free run, stay up with him. And second, why'd you let him chew on antlers when he was younger? He goes, 
that's what caused this? I was like, well, yeah. I mean, you let him chew on him for two, three years until he's that old, and then yeah, he yeah. finds one. Yeah, I guess you're making it where that's the prize. I get to chew on like it. Like, I find it, and now I chew yeah, on it. Yeah, when yeah. the reward should be bringing it back to you. Yeah. And then you get whatever the treat may be or whatever. Well, that's the thing. Um, so, with force fetch, I mean, you're forcing them to find an object, yada, yada, yada. Um, shit hangs the same way, but there's a process that leads into it after you get done with force fetch that really teaches them to hunt for those objects. It's like it's like playing hide and seek. I mean, literally is the basis of it. Any any shit guy said that, they're just like, yeah, man, it was a lot of walking. <laughs> like I'm out there playing hide and seek with this dog, you know, three or four times a day. And th- the other thing is, you know, like when we're talking about these sessions with these dogs, we're talking like seven minutes 10 minutes, 15 minutes, three or four or five times a day. So, I mean, we're not putting a lot of time in these dogs because we're not wanting to stress them out. Socialization is a big key, letting them mm-hmm. play, letting them be dogs, um, you know, giving them structure that's not you being a jerk. <laughs> sure. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, shed hunting is literally just a basis of waterfowl. It's it's awesome. Blood, this is the one that people are going to be confused about if they've never done it. You cannot force a dog to track deer. It has to want to do it, and we do that through food drive. So, and here's the biggest thing. Oh, man, I want to teach my, I want to teach my puppy how to blood track. You know, I did too. And uh, first of all, deer blood is way better than cow and pig blood. You get way better results when it comes to season. I, I have a dog that I did off of pig blood when I slaughtered a pig uh, two years ago, and... Uh, she sucks. <laughs> She's a lot better now because I got some. I got. I got like. I got like two milk jugs full from this dough I shot. I was excited, man. Um, I'm not proud of where I hit her. It was a bad shot. I hadn't sighted my crossbow in in like three weeks, and I hit her in the spine. It happens. It happens. I put her down, but there was a lot. There, was, I was super excited for all the blood in the chest cavity. Like I was ready for it. Fill, fill these jugs up. I told my wife, "I'm like, go get the milk jugs. Go get the milk jugs." Yeah. People, were, someone was watching me from across the road. They're probably like, "What is this weirdo doing <laughs> milk jugs?" So, but yeah, I'm, I was super excited. So definitely, you know, if you want to get a dog, definitely start saving deer blood. Put it in the freezer. It doesn't actually freeze solid, so don't worry. Uh, a lot of people get super stressed out. Um, it's kind of like booze. <laughs> I never would have so, thought that. I, I, w- yeah. I would have thought for sure that stuff would freeze. That nah, doesn't freeze solid. I'm pretty sure it's the plasma in it. I might be an idiot. So the doctor listening to this, don't make fun of me. <laughs> I obviously didn't go to college to become a doctor. So <laughs> I train dogs. That's what. But I, <laughs> I guarantee you, you can't train a dog as good as I can. There you so go. You just stay in that surgery room. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely blood's key. Uh, you're going to need some sort of hide off that deer and, uh, don't freeze it. It doesn't help. That kills all the sin in it. I don't care what anyone says. Like, it's better to keep it out. Now, if you're a smoker and you smoke cigarettes in your house, don't keep the hide in your house because you're literally your dog's going to go find cigarette butts. Like, be smart with your hide. Um, second, uh, when you start doing this, you really need to go back to the beginning where I started talking about feeding that dog from hand. Put it, we like to call it putting it on a food protocol. Um, start feeding it from hand. Make sure that dog gets every piece of kibble it's going to eat for the day. Measure that stuff out at 6 a.m. when you wake up, and that's you know that's what the dog gets, and you feed it. Um, so really, really focus on that and get that food drive up because that's what's going to get a blood dog through. 
It's not forcing a dog to do it. I'm telling you, food drive, using blood, using the scent from that hide, and just really putting the time and effort and really just not getting upset or stressed with your dog. Most guys that come to me, I've had two blood tracking dogs, and both of them, they got stressed out, and the dog just didn't want to do it anymore. It's very time-consuming. It's very, once again, what were we talking about earlier? We, it, it, it's that ability to be continu- um, continuously doing the exact same thing, really putting the time in, repetitiveness, and just really working with that dog. It's it's not a concept that you can just beat into a, a dog. They have to want to do it, and you have to work with them. So, yeah. so how does a what does a blood dog do typically when they're like on a track? What what do you want them to do to try to, you know, track down a deer that someone's obviously blood dogs are yeah. becoming pretty popular because people are using them to try to track deer that they've hopefully killed and they can't yeah. find. Um, I mean, is there a certain way that a, a dog typically tr- tr- you want them to try to find that that trail? Yeah. Um, so if you're, if you've got blood, put them on the blood. I mean, it's literally tell them that like I, all my dogs are hunted up. So, um, you know, they know, uh, I don't do a lot of shed hunting because normally I would use hunted up for shed hunting, um, or track it or find it. Um, it's really what you want. Um, so I tell him to hunt it up and like my, my max boy, man, he'll put his nose to the ground. If, he, if he doesn't hit the blood right away, man, like I'll move him over to the blood, like. We're, we're on this to get it. Um, and there's a lot of factors in this. Please don't just jump on a blood trail and start chasing a deer. Be smart. You know, if rain's coming, obviously you may want to jump on it now. Um, you know, if, if, if there's no rain, I'd wait. You know, did you really actually drop it? Is it dead out there? Do you want – don't go push a deer off and blame me next year. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, – that's a, uh, Honestly, that's a whole different episode that we, we're going to do at some point is, right. is blood tracking dogs because – there's a lot of factors that go into the decision oh, yeah. to have a, a dog come out. And yeah. there's a lot of factors that go into if, when, if when, it's going to be successful. You know, did you tromp uh, all tromps, you know, all over the place for the last two days trying to find the dang thing? And then you call the, the blood yeah. tracking dog, you know, it yeah. makes you just made it a lot harder, but that's a whole different episode. But for sure. Yeah. In this case, you know, the dog is, is doing its job. And yeah. so you, obviously if you have blood, that's the way you start. Yeah. What, what about if they, uh, they get to a certain spot and, you know, there's no more blood. What do they start doing? You know, if they've lost the scent, do they start automatically based on their training, like doing a, a grid search for themselves or uh, what does a dog naturally do? A lost dog will start stretching out left and right. They won't follow the trail. I mean, obviously if the deer, the biggest thing you want to watch is, is the dog going to follow a natural curve? What do deer do when they get shot? What, what do they do? Like, when you're chasing a deer, what is their number one thing? What do they want to do? They want to go in a circle. They want to come back around. So you get that deer come back around. You lose the blood. Your dog is coming back around, and then he starts going left or right. Get him back on that line. Stay with your dog. You know, he's on a lead. Don't let him go. Don't, don't let him run off on you. Stay behind. If he tries to go left or he tries to go right, pull him back. Give him the restart commands. I'm going to hunt it up. Send your dog out. If he starts following that line, awesome. If the line runs cold, maybe go back to the beginning and try again. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm sure there's guys out there that are like, now nah, we're staying on this line and we're going to figure it out. There's more than one way to skin a cat. It depends on the situation. Um, I've reset before and had a dog go, 
we went right through that same exact spot where he stopped and he kept going you know he just kind of reset his thought processes and everything you know and you know, with max i would just keep pushing him through i'd tell him to go but if you start to notice your dog is circling around and you're getting close to where you began you need to really go back and start flashlighting under trees and brush piles and start looking because there's a good chance that either that deer has died there or better yet it's gone all the way back around and you're still chasing it you need to get off of it mm-hmm. um you know and if, if you hear the deer get up and move sit your dog immediately and this is the biggest thing do not take a dog on a blood track that has no obedience training because if that dog has a high enough freight drive what is it going to do it's, it's going to chase take that, off sound. After that deer yeah it's going to chase that sound now if your dog's scaredy cat obviously it won't do that it'll run the other way now you still gotta go get your dog because it just pulled its lead off and just run away so you got to be smart. Um, every situation is different, but like I said, I mean, any any dog that is trained for anything that has a sniffer and wants to work and loves food can become a blood tracking dog. I mean, you really can get it. it it's not hard. It, it's just consistency. Consistency, working them every day, multiple times a day, using that blood to your advantage, using that food drive to your advantage. Obviously, someone's put it together. I'm going to go out there and drip little blood droplets and have a bowl of food at the end. Woohoo, yeah. we're a winner. Yeah. That's how it works. You know, and then obviously you're going to use that hide. You're going to start dragging that hide and start working the scent. That's a little bit harder. But this is consistency, folks. That's all it is. There's no beat them in rules. Now, obedience. Please, 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 like I said, make your dog obedient. There's nothing worse than you're like, hey, Joe, you shoot a deer, call me. I got a dog. You go out there and your dog is just mental and all <laughs> over the place. You know, no one wants to have your dog around if your dog isn't going to work. So, and that's the other thing. Be honest with your friends, man. Be honest where your dog's level is. Yeah. You know, I, that's nothing. I hate it. Oh, yeah, I got a great dog. Bring him out and the dog's a mess. It ruins the hunt. It ruins the yeah. time. And, you know, honestly, it could you could lose a deer in this situation. Sure. I mean, yeah, you can lose a friend after losing that deer. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, be be smart, you know, be honest with yourselves. And uh, there's nothing wrong with having a dog at the lowest level when you want a dog at the end level. Just be honest with yourself. Don't push the dog past there. Do not rush your dog to do something it's not ready to do because, A, you'll either start hating that, or, B, you're going to end up getting upset. And when you're upset, that dog has a bad experience. And that is, like, the number one thing. If anyone takes anything out of this at all – if you are training your dog at home and you get upset, end that session positively as best you can. Give them some kibble. If if your dog knows sit and you're working on something harder, sit. Good. Give it to him. Walk off. Woohoo! We're done for the day. Get excited. Go de-stress. Don't work with that dog until you feel good again. The worst thing you can do is get mad at your dog because you want to rush it or because it doesn't understand what you want. So, and I see a lot of that with people and it's, you're not a bad person because you get stressed out. Are you a bad person because you get stressed out because your kids annoy you and you're yelling at them all the time? No. Same thing with the puppy, but the puppy doesn't know. It doesn't speak English. Right. So if, if, if anyone takes anything out of this entire conversation, it's that. Do not work with a dog when you're upset. If you and your old lady just got into a fight, you're not working with your dog. Take him for a walk. <laughs> yeah, take him for a walk. So just do not put pressure on your dog or work with your dog in a serious manner try to teach something new when you're upset that's what i thought was kind of cool about blood tracking you know with like a waterfowl dog you see mostly labs or chessies or you know certain breeds that are in the waterfowl world 
in in blood tracking, I've seen literally all kinds of different breeds. Like if yeah. they if they enjoy tracking blood, little freaking wiener type dogs or um, you know German shepherds, just mm-hmm. any type of dog. That if, if it's they en- got the willingness to do it and you can get food drive, there is a 100% good chance you can make that dog track deer. Yeah, that's what's interesting to me about the whole blood tracking thing is it's, you know, it just seems like there's all kinds of dogs that can be good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as, like you said, they, they want to do it, mm-hmm. they'll do it. I wonder if I get Hazel to do that. <laughs> oh, 100%. Who knows? I don't know. You haven't met Hazel. <laughs> does, she like, does she like food? Yeah. She likes everything. Yeah. yeah now, she- listen, I want to reiterate that. If your dog doesn't like its food enough and you haven't built that drive with that food, don't go get a ribeye and start training your dog. You're going to go broke. <laughs> <laughs> so and don't use – there's no reason to use treats in this world. Like when I say like we're giving them treats, or if I, I know I've said it a few times now, just use their dog food. I mm-hmm. mean they want it. They love it. And, you know, oh, well, my dog, my dog doesn't want to do it. I just, I just put it out in front of him and said sit and he didn't want it. You know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, don't feed your dog for a day. Their metabolism isn't like ours. They can live a day without food. Right. Oh, my gosh, Fido, no. Take the food away, you know. If your dog the next day doesn't want to respond to that food in your hand or isn't excited you have food in your hand, doesn't want to take it from you, wait another day. I guarantee you, I've never had a dog after a day that hasn't eaten, that was hungry, not want to eat food out of my hand. They'll eventually want to eat. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, they'll take it out of my hand. Man, if I told them to take it out of the toilet bowl, they would do it. You yeah. know, they, they, they want that food. So. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, I've heard all kinds of shows on waterfowl and bird dogs and stuff like that, but I always, I thought it'd be cool to do a show on uh, what goes into training a bird dog or a, yeah. a shed dog, blood dog, different stuff like that. And, you know, when we met you, I thought it'd be a perfect time to, to have a show about that oh, where, yeah. you know, you kind of, obviously there's no way to go into the, all the weeds about what goes into a bird dog. We, we literally just skim the very very top oh yeah but for sure you know um you can definitely get your dog to a level that um I, most dogs i guess some dogs could be ruined um but you know most dogs if if someone's having an issue with yeah. their dog they can probably get it fixed and obviously you know we're on the on the show with Roughneck Retrievers, so give them a call. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You're out of Roachport, Missouri. Yep, out of Roachport, Missouri. Uh, which is near Columbia for anybody that yep. doesn't know exactly where that is. And um, so before we hop off here, why don't you give everybody your kind of your contact information, how they can get a hold of you yeah. if they're looking for something like that. For sure. Uh, we actually uh, don't use a website because I'm really bad at it and my wife doesn't want to make one. So I won't blame her for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she does so much for me. I, I'm probably sounding like a jerk now. But uh, definitely check us out on Facebook, Roughneck Retrievers. Um, you know, and uh, if you want to give us a call, 573-228-0342. And uh, I always answer my phone. I'm, I'm the one to answer my phone. If you send me an email or a Facebook message, it's my wife. So when you call me, it's going to be me. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm willing to help you guys out. Anything you need, give me a call, and uh, we'll get you in. That's awesome. Awesome. You got anything else, Micah? I don't think so. Anything you want to? I mean, I guess uh, just if you guys are going to buy a puppy, just be smart. Look for a reputable breeder. Look for OFAs. Um, Make sure they got those x-rays done, and make sure the breeder doesn't have anything bad going on. And just kind of do your research because I know someone's out there like, well, I'm going to go get a dog now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can give yourself a head start by 
getting a dog from a reputable breeder. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to obviously go that route. Research uh, your breed. That's the big thing. You know, there's lots of – every breed has a website. So research your breed's requirements, like what makes a healthy dog in that breed, you know. Um, every every breed's different. You know, labs have their issues. You know, EIC, CRM, PRA. Make sure you look for that and uh, make sure you do your research and just research on the breeders. There's thousands of breeders out there. There's thousands of trainers. Even if you don't come to Roughneck Retrievers, man, you've got Lyle Steinman down south. You've got uh, Clint Mann right up here in Habitat Flats. There, are, you got Joe Rabbit out in St. Louis. Um, Is that really his name? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a great dude. I mean, I met him like three times just by passing by. And Moco Retrievers in Illinois. Um, so I mean, there's lots of guys. There's guys that are better than me out there. Every guy I just named off is better than me. They've been in it a lot longer. They've been doing it a lot longer. Um, like I said, do your research, whether it comes to the trainer, the breeder, everything. Go see the kennel. Go talk to them. I literally waste more time on the phone with clients the first time they call me than I do any other time. I mean, I just I want to talk to people. I want to know. I want to know if you're a good fit for me. Yeah. You may not be a good fit for me. You know, maybe you want to do something that I don't agree with or you know, you want a certain training that I don't offer, you know. I have guys call me every day. I got this great German short air pointer upland dog. That's not my thing, man. I'll give them numbers for other people in like Kansas and Nebraska, you know. Go out there. Like I said, do your research. Find what's best for you. I have no issue if Roughneck Retrievers is not the way you want to go. There are dog. There's enough dogs for us in the world that I will always be fine. You know, find out what's best for you, though. Like, you need to be happy in the decision you make. When it comes to the dog, the trainer, the food, especially your vet. Interview your vets. That is key. That is such a key thing. Um, don't just pick the vet that's closest to you. You know, just really do your research. These are They're going to be a part of your family. This is a big decision. Mm -hmm. And I promise you someone's going to just go out and get one because they heard me talking. But, like, just do your research, guys. Uh, that's really the... That's the second biggest thing besides never work with your dog when it's mad, <laughs> <laughs> when you're mad, you know? So, but yeah, like I said, just do your research and everything, man. It, it, you wouldn't go, you guys wouldn't be going out to Colorado on a whim with a, with a rifle and a tag. Like we're going to shoot an elk. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have a little research in there for sure. For sure. So. Well, we really appreciate you coming on, man. We appreciate you making that drive, especially after coming all the way from Texas. You know? Thanks, so man. appreciate you. Appreciate Cutting you a little time out of the day for us. Yep. So, Definitely. oh, and also also uh when ryan showed up what did he show up here with oh dude he made what'd you call them again uh, you so call he called them venison eggs they're venison yeah. eggs they <laughs> come from this like texas thing called armadillo eggs which is a uh, pork sausage wrapped around a cream cheese stuffed pepper but it's two pounds of venison um mixed with a pound of my venison breakfast sausage and then you lay that out and kind of smash it out till it's flat then you're going to stuff uh, jalapeno peppers with a marinated cream cheese. You want to you add the flavor to the cream cheese. And then you wrap it around and encase it like an egg. Then you wrap two strips of bacon around it because it takes two strips for every egg. I mean, they're huge. Yeah, yeah, they're good um, size. They're probably like the size of an ostrich egg, I think, almost. Yeah, they were pretty big. And uh, then you smother barbecue sauce on them. You just throw them on your smoker, man. Let them go. Do that. They, they were good. They were awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yep. My yeah. three-year-old said, uh, that was good, Mommy. Can I have more? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, anyway, Ryan, thanks for coming out, bud. We Definitely. appreciate it. We'll hop off. Have a good one. See ya. See ya. All right. Thanks to Ryan for coming on today. Yep. We appreciate him making that drive and all the way. I did not realize. I know he said he was 
Uh, we originally were going to do this last week, right? But he said he was going to be in Texas. I so I knew he was coming back from Texas. I did not realize he drove from Texas to <laughs> my house uh, to do this. So, Ryan, appreciate you doing that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, we should have made you uh, made it a little easier on you. I know. Andy brought us dinner. Andy brought us dinner, dude. That stuff was awesome. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Um, my kids liked it. My wife, who is not a fan of venison, said yeah, she, she liked it. Yeah, she said she didn't mind so, it at all. So I think that's a win there. And he let us keep the leftovers. I'm yeah. excited about that. I'm win, gonna go win. home. And, I'm gonna go home and eat another one. So no, but he was a <clears throat> super. He's a super nice guy. If you any of you guys are out there thinking about looking into getting a dog trained and you know waterfowl or blood or shed hunting, you know, give this guy a call. I mean, if anything, he's one of the most honest guys about the subjects that I've ever talked to as far as training dogs. And he's not going to, he's not going to give you any false hope or, you know, try to sell you on what he does. I mean, he's 100% honest. I mean, I really like him. Super nice guy. He'll at least, he'll, he won't shoot you any bulls. So give him a call if you guys are thinking. If anything, I think he probably loses himself. Right. I mean, and he says that he's like, he's like, I'm honest. He's like, I'm not a fit for everybody. And, you know, sometimes people aren't a fit for me. And he's like, I understand that. I get that. He's like, I'm not the best dog trainer. And for somebody to Which say I that. I think he's, he's right. selling himself short. Exactly. Sure. I, right. I'm sure he does awesome work with his dogs. And, I, I mean, I've never seen his dogs work personally, so I can't talk on that. But the way he talks, I would, I, I think he probably does a pretty darn good job at what he does. Yeah. So, you, know, you can tell he knows what he's talking about for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean we, I mean we've hung out with him for you know he hung out for what four hours tonight. Well, let's see, we're talking at eleven o'clock right now. He got here. at six. Ryan just left and he was here at six. Yeah, so, so he was I here mean four and a half hours yeah, probably. We were talking. I mean, just super nice guy. Uh, I think, and he knows his stuff about dogs. So, like I said, if you guys are thinking about getting into that or want somebody's ear to talk to, he, I would give him a holler for sure. Yeah. And if nothing else, this, this show gave you some, some education on kind of what goes into it. Um, so if you are thinking about, uh, you know, getting a waterfowl dog, these are some of the things you, you really need to think about. I would think a lot of the people that are listening to this show, waterfowl dogs are, are the main focus sure. in the dog world as far as um, waterfowl hunting goes. So See, and know, I would, me personally, I lean more towards that shed hunting and blood tracking. Sure, but yeah, you know. but you're not a waterfowl, waterfowl hunter either, right. right? You know, I I would I would guess, and you know, blood tracking is becoming more and more popular. It's getting huge. Shed hunting is blowing up. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you're thinking about a, getting a dog for any of those kind of reasons, Ryan gives you some good information on what you should be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you haven't bought a dog and you're thinking about going to buy a dog, know what you're getting into. Uh, he talked about knowing the breed. Do your research. Don't just go find a dog uh it could work out or it could also be a giant disaster right so and then you're stuck with a dog that is not trainable and you got i mean hopefully you know you're not a turd and get rid of it you know but it does happen yep but you know dogs are a big commitment you know you got a dog i have two dogs i mean long time i mean they're they're a huge commitment in somebody's life so it's not something to take lightly either